As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by JJ Bull the Bullard. Hello Joe. Hello, how are you? I'm really good. I had a busy weekend. I heard you had one too. Well, it's always busy this close to Christmas. Yeah. Also, uh, guten Tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Wie geht's du? Guten Tag, Herr Devine. Wie geht's is good. How are you? Yes, fine. Uh, we're going to talk about quite a lot of football stuff today. Um, because football's happened, of course. You know, including uh, games such as Chelsea Leeds, yeah? Burnley West Ham. I haven't seen any of the football. I'm just reading what's written down here. Crystal Palace Everton. There's Arsenal, we'll talk about Aubameyang. I believe there's a kind of kerfuffle occurring uh, as we speak with the Champions League draw. Maybe later in the podcast we can get the news and uh, speak about that. And stick around for a juicy morsel from Adam Crafton, who I just saw in the kitchen. And uh, he's, he told me something. I'll tell you at the end of the podcast. It's real. It's a real juicy morsel. For more juicy morsels on a daily basis to sustain your uh, human requirement for... Morsels. Juicy morsels. You should visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, uh, where you'll find as many juicy morsels as your heart desires. So many, in fact, that you could become obese with information. Um, that's <laughs> theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Seriously, if you're a fan of any, any football team out there, you should get on it. And you can get a 30-day free trial right now. Just try it for free. Hey. Where else do you get free food? The Athletic. Now, let's begin today's podcast. I'll leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of the Bullard. Reading what's on the list for me here, Seb, you, the first thing you've written down on this plan very kindly over the weekend was uh, Manchester City 1, Wolves nil. Uh, but at the end, you said awful game, barely worth a mention. So I'll <laughs> Goodness, move on from was, that. Yeah, it, it, well, it, it's worth talking about for just two or three minutes because oh. Wolves actually had a really good game plan, um, which was somewhat sabotaged by Ralph Jimenez, who managed to get himself sent off for two yellow cards inside 15 seconds. Which oh I yeah, that was bizarre. I, I saw that on my well, it was it was one of those where ordinarily, like uh, when that happens to a player, you see him protest, but he just looked very very embarrassed. He knew deep down that he'd kind of instinctively tried to stop Man City taking a quick free kick after a yellow card tackle, and then he had this really sort of forlorn trudge off the pitch where he took off his um, you know the headband he wears to protect yeah. his um, you know his injury, took that off, dropped it, the whole stadium cheered him sarcastically he picked it up and he kept walking really slowly it's very very sad he just sort of he just wouldn't leave the pitch it's if like as soon as he left the pitch it would be official he'd be humiliated and he'd have let down all his teammates but um, I think he's blaming I someone it, else even though it was definitely him it was a very very strange moment and well do you agree with uh, Bruno Lage's uh, interpretation after the game was that the first tackle shouldn't have been a yellow card I yeah the thing about that is that I in isolation, I could probably make the case for that. However, um, Wolves did spend this, the f entire first half with sort of cheap tactical fouls. 
they very clearly came to the Etihad with a plan to break up the rhythm of the game and to to do the kind of to commit the kind of offences which quote aren't due yellow cards. So it's it's kind of a redundant argument because I think it was a take one for the team situation. Jimenez um, probably wasn't worth a yellow card, but it wasn't really a genuine attempt to play the ball, even if it wasn't a serious foul. So. I don't think he can have any complaints. It had got quite tedious by that point in the game because it was sort of, this is what Wolves were going to do for the rest of the match. And it, you know, it was coming. Well, the other thing that happened in this game, of course, JJ, was that Raheem Sterling scored his 100th Premier League goal. Um, that caught me a little bit by surprise. It's an incredible achievement. And I, I spent a little bit of time over the weekend looking at the, the list of other players who've, um, who've scored 100 plus. There's not too many of them. He also has, I think it's 50 or 52 assists, something like that. It's in 300 oh. and something games. It works out about one goal every three. It was quite good. He should have scored, I think, a lot more because he misses an awful lot of chances. But I don't think he's a very natural finisher. He's a footballer who's very good at being quick and interpreting space, getting the things mm. very... Like, he gets in behind, he gives some width. He can play through the middle as a central forward. But then he's missed... You know, he's, I think he should have scored more. He's not a striker, yet he also sort of is. But then that's what most of... City's kind of wide players are. Um, Does that tell us a little bit about how high people perhaps expected his ceiling could be? Because given that he's reached 100 Premier League goals at his age and is a player, as you describe, as someone who's perhaps not the most natural finisher or certainly is someone that has frustrated fans in the past for, for not scoring the number of goals you might expect or, or want him to, that tells us quite a lot about his, um, his, his ability, really. I wonder what we'd think of if he wasn't from England, if he was from somewhere else and... Like how you'd interpret him, like you're thinking like he's got all the physical attributes you want of a, a wide forward, like really quick to accelerate, especially uh, rapid first, uh, like top speed, meant to be something of a leader, a good character to have in the dressing room by all accounts I've heard, um, and is a, a good footballer, but he can't really hit a shot from distance or from close. <laughs> now I think about it, so that's but, but he's always linked with play, uh, teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona, and you can see why he'd play for one of them because he'd give like having a player who's really good and also really fast mm. like you think of like he, he's a much better player than Adama Traore for example but Adama Traore is like, really strong and really fast can dribble with it well but also can't really shoot he more obviously causes problems for the opposition, whereas Sterling does that in a much more subtle way and probably more often. Yeah, that's what we don't, you don't even think of him having scored that many goals. But think how good he was for Liverpool in that season. He finished second, um, has been really important for England. I thought it was interesting keeping him on in this game. So it, I thought Wolves were excellent in this game. Like I thought they would, like Seb was saying, the game plan was right. The game plan is, so it's a 5-3-2 system. Uh, Jimenez there to hold the ball up and lay it off. A drama Traore pulling, pulling out more wide doing a similar thing in wide positions to then run in. So City's fullbacks always invert and come into the midfield. Well, in this game it did anyway, it, it changes a lot. But. So Cancelo and Zinchenko would come into the midfield to join Rodri. And so Traore or Jimenez would pull out wide, to try to get the ball out to them, like wide target men, so they can control it and then come inside the pitch to dribble. And that's what Traore was doing, drawing fouls, slowing the game down, really trying to frustrate them. And then it's that classic... Uh, underdog game plan where you want to then try and hit them in the final 10 minutes or something like that and they, they got a save out of Ederson late on I think Kilman had a header that was very like, good save for the keeper but they suddenly just had more about them even with 10 men like they were just waiting to do it uh, Bruno Lage is clearly a very good manager I moved on from the Sterling point I've realised but with Sterling um, when you're playing a team sitting in that really deep block there was just no space so you could hardly get a shot on target they could hardly get touches in the box because um, Wolves were defending so well, but it had clearly been like the defend. The players played it individually very well, but it had clearly been coached specifically for how to do that in this game, and it worked by all accounts. It was only a penalty they scored from. They didn't really come close. Uh, other than that, I would have said, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, there we go. That was a, a Saturday where uh, all of the the teams you would expect to win won narrow victories. I think there was some challenging with um with with Chelsea and uh, Manchester United, Arsenal as well. We will come back to those games because next up, I want to discuss Crystal Palace three. One Everton, um, another sort of poor performance uh, from Everton, another poor result. Of course, they beat Arsenal last week, which was, uh, you know, nice for the fans, I guess. But it, it's it's undoubtedly a bad run at the moment. Yeah, it is. Also, I suppose the, the positive spin on this game as a neutral would be uh, Conor Gallagher's performance because he really was excellent. But then that also describes a little bit um, about you know just how inadequate Everton were, particularly midfield, because there was no sort of there's no personality to their midfield. Um, there was no cohesion. 
Um, all of the things that were good about Everton, even on Monday night, vanished. There was just this really basic lack of competition in their football. Um, there wasn't any sort of any of that willingness to compete, uh, which is, I think, it's quite a damning remark to make. Plus, also, I think um, tactically, the way they started was kind of wrong. Richarlison played up front um, as a. I don't really like him as a focal point because he's a he's a very direct player, very dynamic player. So he doesn't really let play build around him. He wants you know he wants to run onto the ball. He wants to receive in the channels. He wants to attack defenders one on one. And there's really horrible one of those really horrible moments which occurs between fans and managers when there's discord. Um, Rafa Benitez withdrew Richarlison, replaced him with Salomon Rondon. Also took off Fabian Delph and replaced him with Anthony Gordon, um, the young attacking midfielder. Um, and they sang the fat Spanish waiter song at him, which I don't know. Like it, it feels like he's a. I understand why there's um, an animosity towards Benitez given his managerial history. I, I get that. It feels like um, the battle between fans and head coach is occurring while all the things which are actually wrong at Everton just sort of go. Not unnoticed because fans have, have taken issue with the running of the club, Mashiri's handling of the club, Bill Kenwright, um, you know, obviously the um the the period of recruitment that um has occurred over the last sort of five years. But it's just it's so incidental. Um and it was just I don't know, it it, it they feel it's a strange thing to say because they're five months into it, they feel very end of cycling. Like it's sort yeah. of everything that you everything that you could observe about them that was positive on Monday. You thought, right, well, this is a kind of a foothold in your season. There are things wrong and there are flaws in that performance performance, and a lot of it was to do with Arsenal being absolutely hopeless at Goodison Park. But it's as if it didn't happen. And it's a very strange thing to see within a season. Like there'd be no momentum gained from a victory like that in front of your own fans. Um and the, the side just sort of defaulted back to this place where everyone is utterly miserable. It's um mm. very, very strange situation. Yeah, I mean, a, a strange situation between Rafa Benitez and, and, and Luca Dina as well, uh, JJ. Ben Godfrey played a, a left-back on, on Sunday, which was a, a little awkward. Um, Luca Dina is, of course, probably arguably one of Everton's better players. Now, last week we, we spoke to Paddy Boyland, who's the Athletics Everton correspondent, one of the two, um, and we created a 30-minute long sort of kind of half-podcast video where we talked about tactics, recruitment, yes. um, some of the problems at the moment. Luca Dini was a name that, that, that came up a couple of times, wasn't he? Yeah, you should. You can find that on Tifo IRL, by the way, if you're looking It's good. on our channel. Thanks um, to Paddy. <clears throat> so in that... Uh, so Dina, I think, has had a little bit of a fallout with uh, Benitez. Richarlison certainly looked to have had a bit of a fallout with him because he was furious when he got taken off. And it is embarrassing being substituted. I was once substituted on and off, and I <laughs> on and a off. couple of times actually, yeah, twice. Yeah, I was bad. Can you at describe football. the scenario for us, please. Uh, I was about fourteen or fifteen, and I came in as a substitute. Clearly, it wasn't good enough, and then uh, I got taken off again. Wow, yeah, it sucks. That's awful. Yeah, I got better. Um, well, but Charleston didn't come on as a substitute. He was just taken sure. uh, off during this thing. It wasn't as bad as what happened to you as a child. No, well, are you a child when you're fourteen, fifteen? Yes. I uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, so Everton have been playing a four-four-two uh, recently, like a four-four-one-one. It defends as a four-four-two out of possession, so two strikers. It's sort of similar, weirdly, to what Duncan Ferguson was doing when he was in charge briefly uh, for about four games or something. Mm. But Benitez, as we discussed in this uh, video in IRL, we're talking about is trying to get the ball from back to front very quickly um, and play quite direct football. If you call it high press, it's not really high press, it's just a really high defensive line. Um, it's not working very well. There's too much space between the defensive and midfield lines. In this game, uh, he changed to a, a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. It, it doesn't really matter. There's three people in midfield is what he had. Taking off Delford Gordon, like Seb was saying, um, and taking Richarlison off for Rondon, then meant, I think, that um, Townsend pushed through the middle I think that's what happened. I might be wrong with that bit, but Gordon plays on the right, basically. So they went back to their 4-4-2 they've been playing where they can be more direct, which seemed to instantly work much better in Crystal Palace. So rather than trying to play neat and tidy in midfield and, and match Crystal Palace's three, because they had Will Hughes as the six, Conor Gallagher box-to-box, and Chiati as a kind of, well, centre box-to-box as well, I'd say, in that sort of uh, midfield. And that changed the way they were playing. Rondon, like that, it's a tactical change, but apart from this systemic differences in the 4-3-3 to 4-4-2, be more direct. You had Rondon was just able to hold the ball up much better 
And then, like, I think he sets up the goal, doesn't he? He takes, he takes it with his back to goal, holds the defender, is able to turn him, really nice first touch to lay it off, and that's how they get back into the game. He um, scores, the, that's, the, um, that's, the, that's the second goal. The second goal. The, 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 so he, he scores what? the first. Yeah. Um, and then he sets up a chance for what would have been the second goal for Townsend. Like that's he, what I mean. Yeah. yeah that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Did that that was, uh, play, yeah. I think the, the um, Mark Gway broke, I think. I think, I think, I think, I think, I think. And it's the kind of thing I think what you're referring to Richarlison earlier is that Richarlison's really good. Yeah, like, like be nicely to 1v1 in the wing. He can come inside as a forward. He can float into the space rather than being the focal point. It's a very different, especially if you're playing balls up to the striker early to try and get you. So there's no point playing it from the back. Uh, they're just trying to get that to run down and they can move up the pitch quicker. So you have to deal with the midfield battle. It's kind of, I don't know, they're really a bit of a mess. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there were loud noises coming soon about Benitez mm. being in trouble. Well, for more on that, do uh, do see the video that we made with Paddy. Very interesting for uh, Everton and non-Everton fans alike listening to the podcast. Uh, Seb, let's talk about Crystal Palace, though. You mentioned Conor Gallagher already, who, who's been um, uh, an exciting player to watch for most of the season. You've called this his best performance so far. Yeah, I like how brave he is, Joe. Like, I like I like how much he wants the ball. Like, beyond like his literally utility, like how he carries the ball into the box, where he receives possession, um, his goal scoring... I like that he's willing to take on that responsibility. Like he's a young player with uh, a season and a quarter's experience at this level. And yet, um, Palace already feel like they go through him in many different ways. Like the, the tone of their performance is set by him in a, in a way which is a little bit more broad than probably even Wilf Saha, who we've got used to being kind of Palace's everything for a long time. Um, but he does so many things well. I, I think it's an obvious point, but we'll make it anyway. Like the first goal, if you look at his movement and how he manages to kind of anticipate what's happening, the ball is lost, um, quick press and a, a kind of a, a transition. And he's the player reacting quickest. He creates the opportunity for himself. He's there for the pullback and the finish. The third goal really interested me because I think in that situation, Palace had uh, Palace suffered once Rondon scored. Palace got very, very nervous very quickly. And that's the result. They haven't, they'd lost three games in a row, so it's kind of what you'd expect. Uh, but all of a sudden, they weren't keeping the ball and Rondon's effect was growing and Damari Gray and Townsend, like you, you could feel an equaliser. And so um, Gallagher gets, position, gets the ball in an advanced position. You think, like, just hold the ball, uh, recycle it, move it into a channel, stick it in a corner and see out the game. And yet he takes on this kind of ludicrously low percentage cross uh, shot and just rams it in the top corner. And you think this is um, it's one of those intangible qualities that you think marks out a, not a future grape, just a player that is going somewhere because he has that that level of self-belief um, mixed with all the kind of the, the more real technical um, qualities that he possesses. So he was just excellent. I, I, I think his range of influence as well because... I'd have to look at a heat map to, to confirm this, but he was everywhere. He received the ball in so many different positions. And um, I think I've come to think of him as, as like a an attacking eight. Father. <laughs> ah, uncle, maybe. An uncle, maybe. Yeah, but it's it's just interesting to see, like when, when, a, when, a, when a lone player comes in to a club, you often see... You often see him as decoration or an enhancement to something that's already there. It's quite unusual to see a player join a club as a new manager there as well, and there are new attacking pieces, and then for that player to become so fundamental to yeah. to everything that um, that side does within four months. I think at, um, at his age, at his age, um, but yeah, and um, I'm looking also at a player without now. like a huge amount of first team experience before that. He, you know, he wasn't an established Premier League player. He's a no. he's a young new player. So I mean, it's, it says a lot about his um, his psychology too, doesn't it? He was pretty heavily involved with West Brom. Um, so um, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, he he was on loan at West Brom last season. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've got a touch map. Oh. Conor Gallagher. What does the touch map say? What does the touch map say? He was everywhere. Does it say he was at nah. West Brom? <laughs> <laughs> the only positions he didn't really touch the ball much was left back and left midfield if you were playing a four across the midfield. Right. He was a lot of touches everywhere, all over the pitch. You know, you see some players and you think, ah, oh, he's having maybe just a good season and I can't see this continuing. I think he's having a good season, but he's also genuinely a really good player. I think he'll be like a first team in top 10 Premier League for the rest of his career. That's bold. I was going to say this during the Raheem Sterling conversation earlier, but like I think what makes Sterling a very effective player is he's um, he understands how to play in a system. 
um, mixed in within individual qualities. He understands where to be and when. He understands how to read uh, what's happening around him, what his teammates are doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Gallagher is kind of the same because he's this mix of individual quality, lots of obvious abilities that he possesses in isolation. But he also seems to understand uh, what he needs, what, what what his teammates need him to do. And that's, that's shown out in kind of where he's receiving the ball because that's about making yourself available and knowing when somebody needs an out ball or a progressive pass or all that kind of stuff. Um, but then he has the individual qualities which go with also understanding how to um, exploit a weakness in an opposition system. Um, and that, there's a really good example for that for first goal, obviously. But that's a pretty useful combination to have as a player. And that probably... You know that usually takes someone a long way. Well, yeah, there we go. I mean, I've got his numbers from the act from the game. He made the most tackles of any Crystal Palace player. He has the most possessions gained of any uh, Crystal Palace player. He hardly lost the ball at all. Nine possessions lost, which is one of the lowest in the entire team. Made the most blocks too. Uh, he also took the most shots, seven <laughs> shots on target as well. Two goals, obviously, and three key passes, which is the most of any Crystal Palace player tied with. He also he had a. Um, well, before Palace had their two-goal lead, he put a uh, header just past the far post. I think he's pretty good in the air as well. Like, it's a lot of things he does. Um, and, no, let's not get carried away with it, but it's a... He's fun watching him yeah. develop, and we're learning a little yeah. bit more from him with pretty much every performance. And that's... Um, yeah, that's 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 quite something. Also, we, talked, we said earlier, Palace had lost three in a row. Now, when that happens, uh, you need players in a dressing room to... Um, to carry some members of the team, players who might be suffering and struggling and lost a little bit of confidence in their form. And, you know, previously you'd expect that to be Zaha because he has the ability to kind of, um, to uh, to enliven a side. But it was Conor Gallagher and that's not a role you'd expect a, a young player to, to, to be in, right? I'm going to carry the burden for this and I'm going to be the one that sort of puts us back in a winning frame of mind and to, to kind of, um, to generate all the confidence that the team needs to win games. And that's a... Again, another intangible, but uh, just interesting thing to observe. Imagine Chelsea's midfield next season. I mean, it won't be next season, but you could have Billy Gilmore as the sort of junior version of Jorginho. Played very well for Norwich against United. Yeah. Billy Gilmore. And Gallagher is like uh, Kante. Here's the thing. Uh, just had a uh, hot stuff there. Hot stuff from Conor Gallagher. Just had a text message from Ian McIntosh yeah. to say uh, the uh, Champions League draw has been declared void and will be redone at 2 p.m. Okay. After we finish recording, so we won't be able to discuss the draw today. But thanks for that tasty morsel from me and Macintosh. More tasty morsels later, and even more after this break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Ah, we're back from the break. Let's talk, Seb, about Arsenal now. Uh, they, of course, uh, beat uh, Southampton 3-0 over the weekend. But something which is uh, ever so slightly more interesting than that, given that Alex Stewart isn't here today... Um, is the situation with Aubameyang and uh, and Arteta. Um, I know that uh, there's been a piece released on The Athletic about it this morning, which JJ and Seb, you've both read. Uh, please tell me what it said. Go on, Seb. That was fun, wasn't it? Look how I address it to both of you. You both did the, the, the mouth noise. Well, we just respect each other so much. That we who don't want to who wants to go? It's too much respect in this group. JJ, you uh, tell JJ. me, and then Seb can correct you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a fair way to do it. Yeah. Uh, all right, so, uh, in my own words, the critical incident occurred earlier this week in the wake of Arsenal's 2-1 defeat against Everton. Uh, yeah, Aubameyang... You're so well, your con sentence construction's wonderful. Uh, I know, it's almost, yes, it's almost as though it was written, but live. So, Aubameyang um, has been in trouble previously for being late for things, and Arteta 
is trying to establish himself as the real man on campus. Uh, the boss. <laughs> the real man? Yeah. There's a fake man going around. It's and reference to how he looks like an action pretends man. Pretends to be Mikel Arteta, but it's not him. Yeah. So Arteta is trying to install discipline. You, see, you hear lots of managers say it, like Xavi's come into Barcelona and told everyone they can't do anything fun anymore and they have yeah. to live in the canteen or whatever the hell it and was. And that's fine for him because at Barcelona there aren't several other people who are impersonating Xavi walking but, around not confusing yet. the players. Yeah, yeah. but there's, I mean, there's become a real problem and sure. so many people dress up as Arteta wandering to the training ground. Yeah. You can never be sure to believe. But Aubameyang uh, knows the real Arteta, yet was... So what it seems to have been is he went to France, right? He had, a, he had permission to go to France and then rather than getting the pre-agreed flight back on the Wednesday night to be there ready for training on Friday, he got a flight back on Thursday morning. I mean, as long as he's on training in time, you think it'd be okay. But because of uh, various coronavirus, that's back mm. uh, things. Yes. He had to do some sort of PCR test, you know, the boring stuff where you have to do tests to make sure you're not going to kill everyone. He, so, he was unavailable for when he was supposed to be available, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's happened. Very badly explained version of it. Um, maybe he was... Uh, Maybe he was going off to try and get married or something. That's the kind of thing people would do like on a weekend. Should have gone with Seb, it? really, shouldn't we? I yeah. think he would have explained that in a much more concise way. Seb, yeah. what are your thoughts on um, the situation with Aubameyang? It feels a little bit like this. there might be a little bit more leeway for him if he was still in the best years of his career. I think he's a little bit beyond yeah. his best. Um, what, 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 what age is he right now? I think he's 31, 32. Mm. Um, I feel like it's almost irrelevant. It's just that he's not playing very well anymore. Um, yeah. he's also from being um, he had those those two seasons where he scored 22 goals in the Premier League in each in back to back years and now he's become somebody who you don't really trust to do the things he's paid to do particularly well anymore finish score goals um, he's you not argue there are better options in the squad at the moment no it's more that I would argue there are better options for what it is that Mikel Arteta is trying to create like Aubameyang was um, an end of era Wenger signing, a last throw of the dice, a kind of, you know, the Christmas tree has got bad roots, it's rotting, but let's stick this gold star on the top of it and let's see what happens. And um, that's how he basically arrived at Arsenal. But now, I think the moment that summed him up came at Everton on Monday night when he came on as a sub, wasn't picked, came on, had a moment where you thought, right, this is when a kind of a superstar player you know, cliche, hits back at his manager, puts in that late chance and kind of um, cups his ears to his head coach, whatever. And then he kind of scuffed it wide horribly. You just thought, yeah, really? Okay. This do you know, I've got friends who've been playing as Arsenal football manager and all of them say that like one of the first things they want to try and do is get rid of Aubameyang, but he's on enormous wages and just mm -hmm. no one will take him. Do well, you know whenever you sign these old, sorry, Seb, you know you ever see these old players like on football manager and you sign them like Messi and then there's just garbage after about two years in the game it seems to be what has happened to him he's just not there he's got so much money that you can't shift him feels very much like the Ozil situation like yeah if you remember the kind of the genesis of that was um him and Arteta having a badly defined falling out him no longer being welcome in a training him being sort of that really weird that really weird period of time which felt like it went on for months where he was offering his kind of alternative social media coverage of Arsenal games. Do you remember well, this that? Is, yeah. was doing that? that was and this the whole story as well in the Athletic, like it's it's really worth it's really worth reading. Um if you get into it, it's all to do with how you could see it from Aubameyang's side and say that he just didn't understand what the protocols exactly were because they changed so often for players. I've got um, some sympathy for that, by the way. I, I, I get it, yeah. But he was equally, he wasn't there what he agreed with, and so he's gone beyond what the disciplinary standards were. And so Arteta's I mean, if he, if he lets that slide, then it gives precedent to everyone else to be able to do it. He loses power. Uh, I agree. And also, I think he his his disciplinary record, um, not disciplinary record, I just mean his kind of, um, his track record for being on time for stuff is not 100%. Um, he had a few kind of disciplinary issues at Dortmund towards his end of this time there. He's a player that, if he's not properly engaged, things like this kind of happen, and maybe that's kind of factored into the decision-making here. But it's um, it's kind of sad because actually... If you were Mikel Arteta, I think at this stage where you're trying to build something, um, it'd be pretty useful to be able to rely on someone like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang yeah. or Mesut Ozil previously because it feels at the moment like Arsenal... Um, captain as well, isn't he? Yeah. Which is which always has always felt like a strange decision. Yeah. Um, but there it is. Um, Arteta needs like hungry players. I wonder how ambitious you can be when you're, what's he, 33, 32? What do you work it out? We're saying 31, 32. 31, 32. And so... 
Like, well, that's, that's fine. Exactly what age he is. That'd be really useful to know. That's what I'm doing. But um, I, so, I, I, I just 32. wonder, like, because I, I don't yeah, know whether there's huge a, money. What, what there's, ambition do you have, really? I don't know whether there's a hunger issue with him. And I just feel like it's a. This situation might be a product of a star of the game playing for a club that are not competing for major honours. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe Pierre uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang isn't quite um, the top tier of the sport, but he was very close to it at his best. He was a super player. Maybe when you get a situation where you join a club, the club status declines a bit. You don't play in the Champions League. You don't really compete properly um, domestically. You're not a contender alongside Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea. Maybe this is what happens. Maybe you kind of. It's not that you lose interest, but maybe you settle a little bit. You think, well, this is the end of my career. This is my last big contract, and this is me now because my best days are behind me. I think that would be pretty difficult for a player. I mean, it doesn't excuse turning up late for stuff because no. um, you're an adult and you should know better. And I've got some sympathy for the COVID testing. Like traveling between countries is difficult and complicated, but at the same time, um, it really is just about checking information. Um and it's your responsibility to do it. Like it's mine when I come over to see you guys. It's his when he goes over to. I think he went to see his mum. Fair enough. Uh, but it's just it's kind of personal responsibility. So I, I I understand it. I understand it. It's just it's sad because it's another one of those where Arsenal have a massive contract on the books that they look like they could do without, and it creates a kind of an ugly spectacle. It's also not fun being an Arsenal striker just now because they never get the ball in the box ever. So there's we talked about this donut thing before on a couple of videos I think we've done on T4IRL. But uh, they don't they don't do it all the time. But there are there are times when you notice that there's no one in the box. Everyone pulls out wide so they're available for the pass. And like Lacazette was playing central striker, this he's got some touches in the box, but they're all on the very edge. So when he's got the ball, I I don't know this for certain, but I'm going to guess there's a row of defenders in front of him, which is kind of fine. But you want to be having far more touches in the box than anyone gets. And when Aubameyang plays, I mean, another thing, it'll maybe make him not quite as engaged as you want. I'm making this up. I don't know this for certain. But the, it could be that it's just it, frustrating that you're always looking for the ball to receive it in areas where you can't do anything with it. And then you have to go back into that space and they haven't got quite the timing of the runs. And the like. Arsenal are really good at playing out from the back. Like the goal they scored was brilliant. That's, I mean, that was, that's a... Uh, really brave, sticking to the idea that you pass no matter how high and aggressive the press was. Southampton really went for them, just couldn't they couldn't get close enough to them in time. The control of the ball and the passing in, the options were all perfectly... You can see that's, that's coaching. That's just them knowing how to do it and good players being able to do that. But then when they get to the final third, I don't know if that's when they're let up to do whatever they want to do or if it's really highly structured. And if it is highly structured, then I don't understand why they don't get forwards into those goal-scoring positions, like the ones you get high XG of, more often than they do. I don't know if it's because Arteta doesn't like that from a striker or he doesn't know that you have a striker there to, to score. Like City play with two two strikers, but they actually play with about four or five because they have two positions that often they fill, but they rotate constantly, but they arrive at the right time. So, I, I mean, it's something that they were working on when Arteta was at City, I think. So it must be that he has been part of the coaching for that. Maybe that's what he's doing, but just can't get that across to the players he has because they're not really midfielders, those forwards. I mean, Lacazette's a nine and Aubameyang is one, like definitely a nine. He's even bleeding towards being a winger. It's Yeah, I don't know. It's That would be annoying if I was a striker. Well, there we go. I mean, there's a tough game coming up for Arsenal midweek is uh, the Premier League's current placed fourth team, West Ham. Um, speaking of West Ham, Seb, you wrote here, Burnley nil, nil West Ham. One of the better goalless draws, comma, actually. Hey, I enjoyed it. It was it's kind of what you'd, you'd expect from both sides. Burnley were kind of obdurate and they weren't particularly inventive in the attacking third, but they were solid enough. West Ham were in a funny place because they played very, very well. They had a lot of chances. I would imagine they had quite a few shots if you looked up the statistics, but... It felt as if there was a little bit of an imbalance between the number of kind of scheming players they had, a uh, number of facilitators. So, um, you know, Lanzini, um, Benrahma, um, Vlasic came on as a sub, did quite well. Um, Masawaki played very well on the left-hand side. His career has really been revived. Credit to Dave Moyes for that. But one of the, one of the, the, the kind of the troubling dynamics in that team is if Mikel Antonio isn't quite on it, it doesn't quite work. Uh, offensively because um, I think one of his great strengths is he's so useful in so many different areas like you can put him in pretty much any area of the pitch and he'll do something well um, which is a really admirable um, trait but when he's not quite right um, and he's not quite um, accurate enough or dynamic enough or effective enough um, it feels as if 
West Ham can West Ham spend spend their their matches creating for something which creating for a player who isn't quite there, um, which poses two questions. The first of which is what happens if he gets injured? Um, and he's um, there's an interesting story last week about how he um, his uh, he has cut red meat out of his diet and he's seen kind of um, an improvement in his medical record medical record injury record he doesn't get injured as much is what i'm trying to say um but also like you can't expect a player like you can't expect a player who has that profile to be a 38 game presence in a league because if you want an all action forward that menaces center halves and can physically challenge pretty much any any player he would face in the division at some point there's going to be a lull and what happens to West Ham then because they had enough of the ball and they had the ball in, in enough good areas to, to win that game a few times over Nick Pope made a few good saves but also like they just failed to connect that put that final pass together um, so good game entertaining it teased a goal for a long time but I don't know West Ham need to um, I don't know, that feels like a, a position West Ham need to strengthen I don't know about you JJ but when Seb was talking there, I was reminded of a previous Brazilian podcast. health people. <laughs> Do you remember that, Seb? When you said I was Brazilian looking at JJ's face, and I knew that's what you were thinking about. That's how I lost my train of thought. For some reason, I'd remember yeah. that as Spanish medicine people, but Brazilian, Brazilian medical health people. people. Brazilian you said, health people. You said health. People. I, I I think about Brazilian health people often. That was funny. It makes me yeah. laugh. And for context for those people listening who who aren't watching us, incidentally, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube in full. Uh, you can see JJ and I in the studio in London. And of course, Sev is, is, at, is at home in Germany. So uh, sometimes when he says funny things, JJ and I will giggle here like a couple of school children at the back of the class. And Sev isn't really involved it's in the It's quite joke. unprofessional. No, it's unprofessional. Do you know what the thing about Burnley is? Brazilian health people. We're going to talk about Burnley and the Brazilian health people. Mm. Burnley look like a team who the minute Sean Dyche leaves will get relegated instantly. Sure. With like minus points. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. What a good player Dwight McNeil is to start with. Oh, he's yeah. really um, good, yeah. It just it's quite surprising that he's still there. Like yeah. I I'd imagine he'd command quite a high fee, but he How long is, he's got left on his contract? Yeah, I mean he just uh he, he does them. a lot of things well. He's very um he's very old fashioned. He's like a kind of a left footed winger that you might find in the Premier League in the nineties. Sure. Someone that likes the touchline, who um doesn't dally on the ball, likes to deliver it quickly and, and early. Uh, his delivery is often excellent, and also he has that really old-fashioned quality of um, when 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 the ball gets to him, you can hear the crowd rise and respond to it and get it sort of uh, enthused by what, what might happen next. And you don't really get that very often in modern football because that's kind of a yeah, it's a very old-fashioned sort of thing. Oh, the playmaker's got the ball. Yeah, in reality, there's yeah. like five of them on the pitch now. Uh, but he's he, a Man United um, youth, isn't he? He came to the academy. Yeah, United, he, yeah. He, he came through Man United, but he, he he obviously made his name at Burnley, and he's um yeah he's become a terrific player. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that I suppose he doesn't really fit the system. But if England were still playing a four four two like thirty years later, he would have probably been capped by now. As it is, I don't think he'd make a kind of um, an inside yeah. forward. But he's, a, no, he's I a think he would. Player. I think he could on the right. Honestly, that's what I, I think when yeah. he goes to somewhere and I'd, I'd, we're uh, talking about McNeil still. Dwight McNeil. Can yeah. I drop in some info before you carry on, JJ? Yes, yes. please. But, um, in fact, I, I, I looked. Uh, he, he his contract runs until twenty twenty four with an additional year, an extra year on top of that. So yeah. quite some way off. And Andy Jones of the Athletic released a piece uh, last year all about how Burnley simply couldn't couldn't afford to sell him, not in the economic sense, but of course. As one of their better players, apparently Villa and Everton were both interested in the summer, so there are suitors available. But um, he would he would command quite the fee. Yeah, he's also homegrown, so it costs even more. Interesting that Everton were interested. Uh, interesting that Everton were interested. Um, telling that Everton were interested. Everton because... want McNeil to solve their long-standing lack of high-quality wingers. New manager Rafa Benitez wants to provide service to star striker Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So he's after quality crosses of the ball. That would be a, that would be a brilliant move, but then yeah. that would be very much against the trend for Everton because if you think about the the kind of players that they've spent sort of that's called Dwight McNeil money on in the past. Theo Walcott, uh, Alex Awobi. Sure, yeah. Um, he's a better player than than both of them, and if you put him, the idea of having um, Dwight McNeil on the left, maybe a um, a Calvert Lewin with a, a Richarlison, you know somewhere around that area maybe off the right prefer Rochelle's off the left actually but either way like that would be a, a a very that would kind of be everything that Everton haven't been for a really long time they'd have the balance finally that they've been looking for for goodness knows pretty much the whole of the Machiri era yeah 
Um, but yeah, terrific player. Um, and uh, the only part of Burnley that was interesting yesterday, apart from maybe Nick Pope, who played very well. JJ, did you know that Dwight McNeil can move around easily in the dark? He can Dwight McFeel his way around. Chelsea 3, 2 leads. First senior goal for, for Joe Gelhart. Uh, Gelhart here, so nicely taken too. Nicely taken. Also, uh, if you can find it, have a look at the little photographs of him celebrating the goal. Uh, it's a lovely moment actually because it's uh, it's kind of how you'd imagine you'd celebrate if you scored your first Premier League goal. Very, very cool. Um, well taken. Like I a bet good Dwight McFeel good about it. <laughs> Hey, uh, Leeds played very, very well at Stamford Bridge. Um, they were very, very unlucky. And I still don't entirely know how Chelsea won. A, I can see you giggling like a little child in the background. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to be quiet. Hide your face. On. Hide your face. It, but it's funnier if you, there's no sound and I can just hear your contorted little face trying to try to hide your mirth. That's worse. That's still okay, worse. Fine. Like, Look. Okay, Two Chelsea penalties. The second in the second half of stoppage time was ludicrous. This one was ludicrous. I remember that. It was ludicrous. I didn't like it. I can't remember it. What was it? <laughs> I, I remember I, I, I watching I it and thinking, this doesn't make any I sense. Know, it not was um, An- Antonio Rudiger going down as if um, someone had punched him. Oh, which, yeah. I didn't like that one. I, I don't know. Like, Wait, I, it, it was, was a stupid sure. challenge. The second so, was no, when he um, yeah, scissor no. tackled. Oh, yeah. Because he scissor didn't get no, out no, of no, that was the though. first one. The scissor tackle was uh, Rudiger's first uh, penalty given. The second one was the one where he sort of Backing on and, and the very edge of the oh, box. Oh, he kicked through him. Kicked. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a penalty. I think it's a penalty, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Which game am I uh, thinking of where there was a penalty given that totally... You're thinking was... of James Madison's uh, Leicester Newcastle. No, no, no. That was... No, there was a penalty in the, in the... Was it Salah, maybe? Oh, who knows? Lots of penalties this week. Too many games. There was nine or something on Saturday. Too much football. Yeah. Too much. I like how Jorginho, when he takes a penalty now... He still does the little like he doesn't quite do the little stutter, but he does he does a little pause and then he just just hits it. He just belts just, it, yeah. That looks really it. difficult. Like yeah. to do that little hop first and then find the top corner. It must be very, very difficult to generate the power. Yeah, well if you watch in slow motion as well, you can see that he looks back to the ball for the last split second so he can make sure he's kicking it properly, right? Even just that kind of transition of eyes hit from here to here. I, playing a video game, that's a hard thing to do. He's still know. reading the keeper. Like he's sure. definitely still working out where they're going and he still yeah. hits it. And he, he opens up his body at the very last second. So you can't, you don't know where he's going to go. Mm. That's really hard to try yeah. and you just guess where he's going. Well, it's nice for him to score a couple of goals because he's had a few high profile errors in, in recent games, Seb, hasn't he? Yeah, he has done. And I, I quite like that he's reinvented his penalty technique. Well, not reinvented it, but like tweaked with it. Because um, I, like it. I like that a player thinks about it like that. In that, right, well, what can I do to, to kind of um, to be more deceptive? How can I hide my body shape a little bit more? How can I hide my intent? I think that's, um, I don't know, it's just a, it's a, it's a healthy habit for a player to... to also, um, I think with penalties, if you just put your foot through it, it's very hard to save at any level. Especially at the kind of Sunday League level where you get stuff on and off. doesn't look as cool though, does it? Like, no. I mean, no. Well, no, it does if you... If you Absolutely, Samuel Flange it and it goes like top corner. That's great. What's, what what's, what's that word that you've just used there? Samuel Flange. Samoflange. Have you never seen the. I've never uh, heard of Salmon Flange? Samoflange. Samo. Yes. Can you spell it for us? Yeah. Uh, I think it would be S A M O, possibly a U F L A N G E. And Samoflange is a word I learned from the internet where uh, there's a Thundercats spoof, or it's outtakes from Thundercats, whether spoofed or not, I'm not sure. I think it's outtakes. And uh, someone says, I think Snarf says something about something. And then one of the other guys says, the Samoflange. What the hell's a Samoflange? And it's become a word yes. that I've used often. It's part of one of the infamous Thundercats voiceover outtakes. Yes. Which yes. Which is the character that did the, the give me sight beyond sight? Who was that? I don't remember any of them in Thundercats. I know Lino and Chitara. I used to have toys in them. A samoflange is also a subset of glass brown bowl or pipe used to smoke marijuana. I don't know if doing that in Thundercats. No. Give me sight beyond sight. You samoflange. Anyway, so yeah, Jorginho did make that. Um, he made that bad error against Man United. 
um, which wasn't good when he, he lost the ball in his own half and uh, Jane Sancho ran through. Um, but yeah, it feels also like he, he, he's a player that seems to have come a long way because it, do you remember in that first, in that one and only Sarri season when he was sort of, he was Sarri's proxy and everyone hated him because they hated Sarri. And it was like, you know, an unpopular person's brother. It Had this happened, like had he made that Man United mistake during that season, it'd be very, very difficult for him to recover um, or, you know, to, to regain his form within a very short space of time. And this is a kind of, seems like a barometer of his health and happiness, which is mm. nice. Yes. Give me sight beyond sight. Do you remember the Thundercats episode where Lionel got married on the weekend? I don't know what the Thundercats is. You don't know what Thundercats is? I'm not sure. Are you being serious? No, I recognise the name, but I can't, in my head, nothing comes to my head when you say Thundercats. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Lionel was the hero. He's like a hot, handsome lion man. lion Yeah, <laughs> lion He talked like this, if I recall. He was very serious. And then Chitara, I don't remember what she said it like, but she was good. Right. Well, there we go. I was watching the animals of Fathernwood. I watched that Much as well. more timid animals. Easy to play that on the piano. The theme tune to that. Yeah, big time. Yeah. The right. God. Um, listen, that's it now. But the, I did promise you at the beginning of the podcast. Yes, that's right. It's time for a tasty morsel with Adam Crafton. Now, Adam's not actually here. I just saw him in the kitchen before we recorded this. And I said, quickly, Adam Crafton, give me a tasty morsel. Um, he spent you know, a minute or so trying to think of one. And I said, it doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> I'll say it at the end. <laughs> but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll plug it at the beginning. Anyway, he said he watched the uh, Norwich nil one Manchester United game. And he said that Bruno Fernandes is going to struggle to do that shuttling thing that Mr. Ralph wants him to do. And that's the tasty morsel from Adam Crafton. Worth the wait, wasn't it? Worth the wait. I'll take it. Yeah. I honestly, I hoped for for more. Yes. Well, you know, I think that's because people, the expectation of Adam Crafton is so very high as a result of the wonderful work that he does for The Athletic. Yes, but you can subscribe you, you to... Also, you also, you kind of plugged it. I think oh, I did. if you had your time again, you, yeah. you would probably, you wouldn't tease it in the opening. You just chuck it out there at the end. As that I doesn't sort of, understand uh, as a, what happens behind the curtain, even after all these years, you know? Do you think... Um, Except to talk about PSG being rubbish. Oh yeah, and of course really there was good. a whole. There's a, it just you know what it just wasn't written down here. But there is a whole uh, a continent of football, Seb, that you would love to discuss. Well, I don't really know what to do with that. But yeah, no, I watched. Um, well, I like, feel sorry briefly. for you because the the podcast has broken down by this yeah. point. Right? I'm also expecting you at any point to just cut you off and end the podcast. It was going quite well before, and then it then it all sort of dropped. It dropped into the mire. Um, but PSG, that was a game. Oh, the, of course, the Madrid derby as well occurred, didn't it? It did. Um, also, Real Betis versus Real Sociedad was an excellent game of football. Um, very weird goalkeeping moment for the first Alex Moreno goal. If you, um, if you look at the highlights, I, I've watched a couple of times back now, and I still don't know what it is that he's trying to do. So you know when you're playing um, Pro Evo or FIFA, and you accidentally press triangle, and your goalkeeper just comes running up the pitch. Oh yeah! yeah. And you don't you only you only realise it when he comes into shot. It was like a real life version of that. He was just Anxiously there for no reason it. at all. And then um, Alex Moreno was left with a, with a uh, just with in a, a straight line, kind of slowly moving towards the ball. Yeah, sort of towards the touchline. But he also um, the camera <laughs> like cut immediately to that game. Wasn't real life that really happened? They're just like <laughs> sprinting, charging up the pitch and out of nowhere. That would be amazing. Sorry, Seb. <laughs> 
No, well, the, the goalkeeper, as soon as the goal went in, the, the, the camera panned immediately to him and his sad little face of kind of like, oh, God, I'm going to be on YouTube forever. Um, that was very good, very, very good Betis performance. If, if you get a chance, watch Betis. They're fun um, and they're playing excellently. Mm. Uh, the Madrid derby was good. It was very much kind of, um, not breakout because he's been around for a long time, but a really excellent Vinicius Jr. showing. Continuation. For the season, uh, also given a standing ovation by the Bernabeu, which is interesting because he hasn't always enjoyed the best relationship with those fans. Um, but he seems to have he seems to have settled into this identity now. This is who he is as a player. Just a very, um, very rounded, very gifted attacking footballer uh, who's working really well with Benzema. Um, the first goal is a piece of art, um, as is the second. Actually, it's a lovely finish. So, yeah, that. And, hey, uh, Greuther Foyth got their first win in the Bundesliga. There was a moment, they were playing at Union Berlin uh, at home in Foyth. And um, they, there was a moment after um, they went one up where everything went defensively. They were just sitting behind the ball. And only time they got it, they were just hacking it 80 yards forward. And they, they played like that for about 30 minutes. Um, and the defending got in, increasingly desperate to the point where halfway through the... Um, the second half, a um, a union player, union winger broke with the ball, and his opposing fullback just rugby tackled him. Just, just <laughs> it, it wasn't even it wasn't even one of those where he grabs his shirt and they kind of fall down together. It was just a rugby tackle. Nice. And uh, without missing a beat, the uh, zone commentator used that as an opportunity to plug their NFL coverage later. Oh. It was magnificent, oh, magnificent, lovely. And I, I brought this up on um, on Twitter, and a couple of people said, "Well, that is very, very Joe Divine, isn't it?" Well, I, 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 I think it's, you know... Very Joe Divine. I think Extremely I picked Joe that Divine. up from other people, for sure. But you know what I, I uh, is original to me? The Athletic. I, Dwight McFeel, this has come to a close, the podcast. That's original to me, you know. No one else would have said that. I That's can't true. Dwight McDeal yeah. with you on a Monday. Very nice. That was good, wasn't I it? I think Seb's won it. He's won the... Do we have a prize? Um, yes, you can keep your job. Now I have Dwight McSealed it. Excellent. Oh. <laughs> McGreal. It was better when he just said one. McGreal. Did you whisper? <laughs> you got any Craig? No. No. Craig hasn't. Maybe he could go for lunch and get a McMeal. <sighs> Uh, that's the end of the podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for, for listening. Uh, I won't be here next week, but it's the last one of the of the season. We've oh, got a special episode. Whoa, why um, are you not here next week? I'm, I'm busy. We've got a special with, with. episode uh, coming out on the 27th, which is, uh, Seb, you hosted that. It's between Danny Taylor and Ollie Kay. All about Alex Ferguson. I, I, I referenced this last week. Uh, it's the State of the Club episode on Alex Ferguson. Monday the 27th, uh, that will all be out so I hope you'll uh, enjoy that and next week you'll be joined by someone asked the other day is there a reason Alex and JJ are never on the same podcast well bonus excitement for you they are next week which is going to be nice you well, know? the universe will implode <laughs> exactly the universe will implode uh, so uh, thanks as usual uh, to uh, producer Adonis who kindly left a note on our plan this morning saying I think you've talked about Norwich and Man United enough <laughs> so we left that one off um, thanks to uh, producer Craig uh, in the studio here. And, uh, of course, to JJ Bull the Bullard. Yes. And uh, uh, Sebastian Stafford-Bloor. Dankeschön. Dankeschön, Hedemann. Yes. And from me, see you in the new year. <laughs> <laughs>